Hi there, thanks for downloading the latest episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. You can find out more at fantasy-animation.org as well as via our social media channels on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at fananimresearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M research. If you like what you see, then please do support the show by subscribing, liking and reviewing the show. A quick written review, five stars, would be really, really helpful. It helps make the visibility of the programme even more. It helps us reach more listeners and it helps justify what we're doing to our employers. Um, So please, please take a minute out of your life to help the show. It would really help us create more content for you. Otherwise, sit back, relax and enjoy the latest episode. listeners welcome to the latest episode of the fantasy animation podcast this is an interview with sarah ann kennedy voice actor extraordinaire and perhaps best known as a writer and voice actor on peppa pig who we've had business with in the past on this podcast um see previous episodes uh, this started off as a general interview, a la some of the others we've done in the past, but very quickly we kind of delved into Peppa Pig and started to explore that in so much detail, um, thanks to Chris and I's <laughs> slight obsession with the show, um, that, that it became a sort of chance to revisit some of the ideas we explored on the, on the podcast previously. So we've called this a Peppa Pig Revisited episode. It's sort of that. It's sort of an interview with Sarah. Um, it's a good chat. Why don't you have a listen to it? Hello listeners and welcome to the latest episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast with me, Chris Holliday. And me, Alex Sargent. For this episode, we are delighted to be joined, myself and Alex are joined by um, British voice actress Sarah Ann Kennedy, um, who listeners may know from uh, the voices, well, a couple of voices from Peppa Pig, Nanny Plum in the children's animated series Ben and Holly's Little Kingdom, and Dolly Pond in Pond Life. She's also um, a writer and animation director, um, as well as a student? I'm a student, yeah, I'm a lecturer. And lecturer. Um, Um, And she's also written for Hit Entertainment and Peppa Pig and currently works at the University of Central Lancashire. So Sarah, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for asking me. Uh, No, well, thank you for coming on. There's so many things we can talk to you about. We thought it's mad to do this around any particular thing you've voiced or any particular thing you're working on. Um, So it's really great to have a conversation with you about all things um, animated and otherwise. Um, I guess we'll. I guess we better start with the with with Pepper because, um, well, for two reasons. One, obviously, it's sort of the flagship on the. You know, if you if you've got Peppa Pig on your CV, it's hard to avoid. I imagine people asking <laughs> you questions about. It, so let's get it out of the way. And also, we've got we've got skin in the game on the Peppa Pig yeah. issue. In that, one of our most popular episodes um, in our back catalogue is our infamous, famous. Yes, yeah. how would you describe um, it? Uh, notable notable conversation <laughs> yeah. with uh, Professor Richard Dyer about Peppa Pig, which has gone down in sort of our po- the limited podcasting history. So yes. it'd be lovely to sort of see where that conversation... Peppa Pig revisited or yeah. reloaded, if yeah. you will. Um, so let's talk about Peppa to start with. How did you how did you get in to working on Peppa Pig? Who did you... Who out of the creative team had you met? Um, I gather you, it, you, you'd had a history with them um, sort of 
before they started the show, had they, or some yeah, of them? Yeah, I knew. Well, I basically, I was, I did a series called Crapston Villas, which okay. was for Channel Four, and I was at a studio called, and I used to be at Spitting Image, and then I moved to a studio called Loose Moose, which is based in London. And Mark and Nev, who created sure. Pepper, they had done a series called The Big Nights so that had been at the BBC. And so they then, and Mark did also did, uh, he's done a, you know, he was at National Film School and he did. I loved uh, The Big Nights. Big did you? Fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't know anyone else had seen that, uh, let alone that I'd forgotten, of course someone made it. But yeah, yeah I loved yeah, The yeah. Big Nights. No, yeah, he's yeah, done yeah. loads of really good stuff. He did The Village and when he was okay. at there. And he, anyway, so they kind of moved in and we got friend, we got chatting and basically, the, you know, the kind of British broadcasting had stopped commissioning adult animation, which was a real shame. So we were all going, oh, what are we going to do? And um, um, Mark and Nev said, oh, we're going to try and do a kids' series. So they spent ages researching what was on telly, what was already there, what wasn't catered for. I was doing, I was still doing voiceover stuff. So I think I was doing Candy's Guard had another series of Pond Life, and I think I was still doing that. And I was, I had a bit of writing. I just, anyway, I was doing bits of writing okay. mm. and whatever. So, and then... Um, and had that been something you'd been doing since sort of uni? Would that be a thing you'd always been interested in doing, writing and a bit of voice acting? And yeah, that's like the that. stuff I really liked. Yeah. But what was interesting, I, you know, I laughed with Mark and everybody because I said, oh, God. Because I'd Crapston Villas is really rude. There's right. loads of really obscene things in it. And I was sort of seeing how far I could go. And if I got away, and I couldn't quite believe I got away with what I got away with. So, and I said to them, God, oh, you're really lucky. I said, I don't think anyone, but who's going to employ me and kids? After that, and we laughed about it. And then about... A couple of months later, Mark said, oh, do you know anyone who'd like to do a bit of writing on Pepper? And I went, oh, I don't know, assume, not assuming he meant me. I went, I don't know, I'll have a think about it. Um, and I was sort of came up with some names and he said, no, I meant you. Are you interested? And I went, me? I was really shocked because we'd had this conversation. I was thinking, you know, I've written so many, you know, all the stuff I have written is very adult, quite rude. So I was really pleased. I went, oh, OK. So I wrote a couple of episodes and then there was a character... Which was who this, which basically turned out to be Miss Rabbit, which wasn't really anything. She was just working in a supermarket. And I wrote an episode about shopping, and he said, "Oh, why don't you just do that voice for that character?" I said, "Oh, all right then." And that's kind of how it started. And then they kept doing, popping, putting Miss Rabbit in various okay. different episodes, doing different jobs, and they just it was that was the joke. She just could do everything. Right. So, which was great, and that's how I kind of that's how I started doing Pepper. And the scripts were funny, and I didn't, you know. I didn't. I decided I kind of wanted to change my career. Still didn't mind doing the voiceover stuff. Didn't mind. I'm really pleased I'm doing it now. But at that point, I was thinking maybe I'm going to going to teaching. So I was sort of having deciding okay. what I wanted to do with my life again after doing because it was. I found it quite stressful doing Crapston actually. But right at that point, um, I'd you know. So yeah. So that's and then I just it just carried on. I can't quite believe I'm still doing it. And did, that implies that you found Pepper less. Stressful. Oh really? I'm not stressful <laughs> at all. I wrote right. a couple of episodes, and then I just do this voice. I just yeah. go and do a voice every now and then, and um, which was really fun. And just they're hilarious, and we had a really good laugh doing it. And and yeah, it was just easy. I found it quite. It was just fun. Is that because? Because um, I'm not. I wasn't responsible. That's yeah. Okay. Right. So you've got less. You've got less sort of yeah structurally. But you can. You're Miss Rabbit. You can pop in and do a shop and things like that, as well as writing a few little bits. So you're. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So it was easy and it was nice and it was just nice to be. Yeah. I just really enjoyed it really. And I'm so and 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 yeah. That's how it kind of happened. I have a just going back to something you said about adult animation prior to a move into Peppa Pig. Yeah. But you know because I you know you. You could argue that actually Peppa Pig does some important work in in negotiating, you know, identity and community and all these sorts of things. But clearly, and this is this is one of those. This is actually, I think, a, a, a lacuna in animation studies. What do we mean by adult animation? Actually, it's not just it's kind of knob gags. It's 
there's lots of different. Was, I mean, um, well, well, so that <laughs> kind of leads into my nothing wrong with a knob nothing gag. wrong with an. <laughs> that's the trailer for this week's episode. Nothing wrong with a knob gag. But you know, trying to, to explain to students that actually, the adult of an animation could be the space where it's exhibited and where we see it. Um, it's not something we go to the cinema to see. It's something we see in an art gallery, and actually, that might change the way we think about. Think about um, animation as a medium. It could be to do with theme. It could be to do with technique. You could say there's something more accessible and childlike about, say, pl- plasticine, which perhaps is where the Crapston Villa's tension between an Ardman style aesthetic or plasticine yeah. models versus the, the tone. Um, there's something more childlike about plasticine or computer animation, but actually something more adult around these kind of minimalist abstract. So actually adult means lots and lots of different things, tone, style, narrative, as well as an obligatory kind of knob gag. But I was interested in what you were saying around kind of, or, or you seem to imply that there was a, a collection of, of people, including those that wrote or, or created Peppa Pig, that adult animation was kind of coming to an end and they were figuring out what to do next or something. Yeah, well, uh, so so what, what does that mean? Was there a... So obviously, animation, British animation's relationship to, to to important places like, you know, Channel Four, which obviously yeah. is let's say in the news now for 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 less than favourable reasons. But um, Channel Four has often been seen as a space for really important kinds of expression, and so, so I just I'd love to know a bit more about that pre-Peppa Pig moment where you've got a group of people, yourself included, working on Brit- in British animation, working at Channel Four, doing and doing knob gags left, right, and centre. And then having to, as part of a culture, is that right? That there's a yeah, kind of yeah, it felt like that. Well, cha- but when it was Claire Kitson, and yes. uh, you know, and then she's written that book about yeah, it. Yeah. You know, basically, they had really good fun. She had a, she had a department, and she had funding, and she was really really supportive of British animation on many different levels. So she commissioned kind of quite arty films. She did more commercial stuff. She commissioned quite a lot of adult an- animation, although Mark and Never the BBC were doing a similar thing and they were at the BBC doing Big Nights. Yeah. And then there was Alison Snowden and David Fine and they were doing, they did Bob's birthday and they did this whole series about Bob and his wife right. and that was really funny. And they ended up going back to Canada because David Fine's Canadian. They moved to Canada where they could get better funding for the kind of things they wanted mm. to make, which are, you know, not necessarily aimed at kids. So uh, that, that was the... The, re- the remit, I suppose. And then there was Candy Guard, who did Pond Life, and there was myself. And they just sort of decided, Channel 4 had a different remit. It, it was remit was to commission originality. Yeah. So not necessarily to make, a, a, to be necessarily commercial. Although, oddly, at that point, British Animation was winning all the awards at, the, uh, yeah. at uh, you know, at all the festivals. But of course, there's not that funding now. Although the BFR are bringing something, they are starting to be supportive. Yeah, yeah. So there are going to be more independent voices out there again so um yeah so basically that's kind of what happened so it was everybody slightly changed their direction or how they were gonna go about working so yeah so mark and ev just decided they were going to do kids and um candy went into doing books uh, you know she she's written this whole jelly series about this character called jelly and i um did I kind of I carried on doing voices and going into education yeah. and doing yeah. research and so you know we all kind of went in different ways really. Okay, okay. I guess that's really interesting. So it sounds like the it, what the other thing that Chris is picking apart there with this ad, adult animation is it implies that if we don't put the word adult in front of it, then then it's not adult animation, right? Animation by default isn't for adults unless, unless it has a qualifier. Unless it has a qualifier. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're saying, yeah. but also in terms of when you're pitching commercially, yes. 
you kind of have to say they ask you where it's going what is it preschool is it you know yeah, teens yeah. is it tweens <clears throat> is it yeah. eight to ten there are slots and basically you kind of there is certain language that you have to use or certain subject matter you're kind yeah. of restricted and and pepper you know when we wrote pepper Mark and Neville were really specific about the language that was used. They wanted the narrator to repeat the action so that the it was really simple for the kids. It was like a really simple... It, when, I think they've changed it back, but at that point, it was just like an A and a B plot. So you had a main plot with a B plot, and that was it. It was a very simple three-act structure. So it was, you know, there was... And there, when we did the voices, they were very specific about how... The voices, they wanted everything to be clearly pronounced. So, you know, you then you had all that, which can do. And as did Pond Life, you know, you could, it was much more colloquial. But yeah. with Pepper, they didn't want it to... They wanted it to sound very clear. And what's interesting, that sold to America with British voices. It's one of the only series that has. So things like they've got that other one with the trains, I forgot what it's called now. And they used to have that Liverpudlian voice Thomas the Tank yeah, had yeah. to revoice it with an American voice because nobody could understand it oh, yeah. so loads of them most series when they go to America have to be revoiced I mean oddly Pond Life was sold to America it was on Oxygen which is like a funny little uh, channel and I had to revoice some of Dolly but um but not all of it, because basically they just wanted me to replace words. Or I had to say trash right. instead of rubbish. I had to say mom instead of mum. I just uh -huh. thought that's ridiculous. I had to say there were certain phrases, but some of the other characters had to be revoiced by Americans. Like the ones John Thompson did, yeah. had to be revoiced by an American because they found his accent too strong. But they didn't ask him to come in and do it clearer. They wanted an American. Whereas Dolly stayed English, really British, yeah. as they say in America. You know. Yeah. Well, it's quite interesting, but also what was really weird, we'd done this thing where in the olden days, because now, of course, you can make things, you can sort of speed up the voices without changing the pitch. Whereas in those days, you couldn't. So we record, me and Candid recorded the voices for Pond Life, and it was too long. So what she did, she just sped it up. So, so, so it was shorter. So when I came to put the bits in, they went, your voice is really high in this. Yeah. And I suddenly heard it back, and I was like, this is really high. And I had to suddenly speak with this really kind of drop them in with my pit, voice a pitch higher. Oh, God. But we did, I didn't know, so I was thinking, God, I'd given not smoking and I was thinking god is you know it was right anyway I must this is ruined my career I've got to do something different I need to take up smoking <laughs> yeah. again so my voice will sound as it used to yeah, yeah. Um, I, so that, that's really interesting I think some of the things that we've tried to think about on the podcast is is bridging a gap between um academics write or animation studies people writing about animation and people in the industry and getting yeah. them in the room and talking about well actually we have our ideas around what adult animation is and we could write papers about what that term means and how it's and then speaking to somebody in the industry, well, actually, no, you need that label because it communicates something very specific, yeah. especially in relation to television, as you say, which order is it, is it going to be? And, and this reminds me of a number of, of, of topics that we've kind of touched on that, that we think that animation isn't a genre. Yes, but 90% of people think of animation as a genre because of the way that Amazon works, the way that Netflix works. Way, so actually, people, it is a genre. Because people think about it like that, whether or not yeah. we think it is. So there is. Whether it should be is yeah. another question. Whether it but, be, but, <laughs> but it is thought of in generic yeah. terms. So actually, bridging theory and practice, and actually hearing that adult animation is something that I can lecture my students about in terms of the nuances of the term. But actually, on a practical industrial level, it means something quite specific, and will get you a. Uh, commission or it won't kind of thing yeah so you so like with pepper they they wanted really to go for preschool yeah. they absolutely okay. wanted preschool they wanted that preschool slot because merchandising is really good with preschool and also they were doing it pre when dvds were just coming out so they made loads on pepper because of the dvd sales it's all changed it's all downloaded now yeah, and streaming yeah, sure. and you don't make as much but they made quite a lot of their money on 
okay. the DVD sales, yeah. basically, because that's how it worked then. But, but yeah, and also when you approach a commissioning ad, you've got to know, because they will have a budget for bi- different areas. Do you know what I mean? So they'll have a big pre- make often big preschool. And maybe the budgets aren't that big, but they've got a lot of slot. There's a lot of content that they need yeah. for preschool because it's a big audience. And then slightly less for other ones. So it's understanding what the commissioners want as much as so you know it helps them know where they can put it in their slot basically and then you're making creative decisions or they're making creative decisions based on this this pre uh preschool demographic are they doing that kind of just creatively and instinctively thinking just sort of no think about money no, all they're no. thinking about is money that's the reality they yeah. think about how I, much money they can make I, I actually didn't mean to of... I actually didn't mean to draw a creative uh, <laughs> uh, financial distinction although that's that we can talk about that as well I actually more meant like are they like looking at any kind of empirical research as to what kids can cope with and what they can't with? What narrative situation? Yeah. Or are they going, oh, kids need simple, like, you know, is there a... Because you said they did research, you know, they, they did went research. away. Are they looking yeah. at, like, clinical, okay, this is what a preteens, you know, can cope with on a narrative level? Yeah, or, they or didn't look research. What they did is they looked at everything that was available for that age group and they went, okay, right, there's nothing fine. on families. It was a real phase where they had the Bob the Builder, load of people all together working sure. as a team. And then you had ro- robots, loads of people together working as a team just different characters that represented different types of people mm-hmm. that work together as a team so it's all about teamwork and there wasn't really anything about families okay. so they went we'll just make a show about a family but it can be a like, little family issue so it's a bit like a soap so you've got something like going shopping or falling out with your best friend or yeah. you know or, or learning to ride a bike those things that most people go through Oh, you know, at that age, queuing to go on the slide, knowing somebody hasn't queued and it causes a terrible problem. For kids, that's their, that's mm. their world. Yeah. So what they did is they made it, they, they did a show all about that. And that's why it's so universal, because it's a universal thing. All kids, wherever they are, will experience falling out with their best friend, will experience, you know, going on a slide or going to a plaything and having to maybe queue or not having to mm. queue, having a younger brother, you know, all that stuff, food, eating you know they all deal with that so that's kind of I think why it's so successful yeah basically and all the things I mean when we had conversations about the episode it was always kind of recounting our either our own childhoods or I'd often talk about my sisters because my my niece and nephew were quite young then so I used to remember things that they did yeah, and we'd yeah. have a good laugh about it and whatever and then they'd, they'd sort of work out the episodes from some well from more different stories <laughs> from different people but around those kind of issues and and uh, you know it was unusual no one else was really doing it so what they did is they looked at the market and we looked for a gap and went mm. right that's the gap we'll do that okay yeah. interesting yeah i mean and so then, yeah and that's a financial decision of course it is yeah, well yeah, they yeah, wanted yeah. to make a success yeah. of it so that's why they did it but they wanted to keep adult humor in there because they were really you know in terms of we want to make sure the parents aren't bored. Yeah. so they did that so there is loads and ben and holly people always think ben and holly's got more adult humor and actually but they i think it's because it's 10 minutes i think they found it exhausting so they did two seasons and then they just, I think that was it, they kind of didn't want to do any more. And they don't want to do any more Pepper now. It's now with Carrot, um, Jamie Baddington's company. Okay. So, uh, because it's all really complicated, but, because Mark and I obviously did it, have done it for years and they've just about had enough and they decided they didn't want to do any more, but E1 had bought so much of the, f- had more shares than Mark and Nev did. So E1 said, yeah, but we want to carry on doing it. It's really successful. It's a green, what do they call it? They have a special name for it. When it's one of those ongoing, you know, like Scooby-Doo, one of those series just literally will go on forever and right, evergreen. Yeah. That's an evergreen. So so then, uh, you know, Mark and Nev said, well, we don't want it. But they said, well, we'll get someone else to do it. So then they found Jamie Baddington at Carrot. He's the producer there. And he's he took it on. So we're just, we're in the middle of doing another 150 episodes. Mm, right. 
Do you do them all at one go? Is that 150? No, they schedule it, so they'll do a certain amount. So you do sets of sets of them. You commission to do that number. Yeah, they'll they'll do, you know, whatever it is. They, uh, overall, it's like 150, but then they'll do 100, I can't, 30 or 20, mm-hmm. whatever. I can't remember the exact number. And then they'll do the first 15, and then they'll do the voices for, for, for that. And then, obviously, they start making those, and they'll start on the next one. So I think they just write it in, in blocks, you know. Mm. So you're not ever... You don't just do all the scripts then, or you just wouldn't, it would take you years. I mean, mm. you know, so they do it like that. Mm. I think with, um, <clears throat> I was interested, going back to yeah, something you said earlier about this kind of trans- the transportability of certain kinds of programs and, and redubbing and, and, and making sure that you have to tailor things for specific um, parts of the world. Obviously, Peppa Pig is, is very popular and, and I can, you know, there's, there's plenty of writing about its sort of afterlife. And, and I guess the thing with British animation, I'm thinking about, Wallace and Gromit and an Ardman that that there's a kind of attractive and you've written about this the kind of the Britishness of the mm. British fantasy or the the attractiveness of British so that so the, the it's cozy yeah and the, but the things that you were describing in terms of the narrative beats or the the drama of an individual episode that might be something as small or as kind of low key as as queuing for a, a, a slide which obviously when you are Two feet tall is big drama. Yeah. It's big yeah. kind of drama. It's a massive deal. Because you'll navigate, you know, very famously children are navigating a world that isn't built for them. So everything is kind of, which is why so many animated films are about, this is my interest, so many animated films are about seeing the world from a rat's perspective or a bee's yeah, perspective yeah. or an ant's perspective because it's just like how children see the world. Things are massive because yeah, it's not yeah. for them. But also it's that idea <clears> of having to, because what happens in that episode, I'm just thinking about this, Grandpa Pig, so why are we all bothering to queue? Just get on or do what you like, you know? And of course, there's just absolute chaos and all the kids are crying yeah. and really upset because someone's had two goes and they haven't had a go. And so you realise why that having to be quite organised about having a queue and yeah. all taking it. It's about taking taking your turn. So it's about going on a slab. But it's also about learning to take your turn, yeah. mm-hmm. which is quite a big thing for kids. They really get worked up if it's just not quite right or if there's something that yeah. goes wrong, or, you know. But then there's, So there's an interesting tension between problems or drama that is universal and the kind of the specificity of pepper as a as a british product or something yeah. and so so i guess i guess this is leading my to a question about when you wrote your episode then are you thinking okay so this is this is this is a, a british program and i want it to feel like the the nuances of what a british supermarket is or so forth but also something that is going to also sell because i guess one of the issues one of the things with something like the character design is that you can it's, it's easily unif- you know recognizable across the world or yeah. because it looks like a children's illustration these kind of block colors and mm-hmm. and we talked about this on the podcast before this kind of theory of condensation where you're in animation aesthetics where you're trying to produce the maximum amount of of uh, meaning within the most condensed form of imagery so it's blocks and it's big colors and and stuff like that and this goes back to the the kind of UPA style of the 50s and 60s where there's just enough suggestion there for this to be a building and a window and a yeah. you know we don't have to fill in things can just be through the power of suggestion or symbolic yeah. or so when you're so so this episode so are you trying to make something that is well, tell us about this episode because I'm just interested in well, that. Well, yeah. the shopping one, I, it's, it's not my. I, I did another one as well about riding your bike. I'd ride, so when, okay, uh, let's go, let's let's go riding the bike. Which is a bit more, I found more interesting because I just based it around my, my own story of right. learning to ride my bike, which was I, my dad taught me how to ride my bike. 
and I remember him and it was really simple I just remember him holding my saddle and going go on you're doing really really well and then what he did is he ran along beside me going you're doing really well and I was cycling along and then as soon as he went as soon as I realised mm -hmm. it he sort of then just waited and I cycled off and I thought oh my god where's my dad he said you're doing it on your own I just fell off because I just suddenly mm -hmm. lost my confidence and it was sort of man that was the sort of basis of the story so you know let's do one about Pepper learning to ride her bike we slightly change it so she starts off and she's 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 laughing or she's laughing at her brother on a tricycle, but she's still got stabilizers. And all the other kids go, but you've still got stabilizers. And then yeah. she's really embarrassed. And then she asks her dad if she can teach her how to ride a bike. So she learns to ride the bike, and her dad he does that. He runs along beside her, but she doesn't actually fall off. He, you know, she suddenly goes, "Oh, daddy, I'm really frightened." I'm no, oh, no, and he's going, "You're doing it on your own." She's going, "I am. I'm really doing it on my own." And then. And then she has a little race with the other kids on their bikes because she's really excited and they go down the hill and, and there's a subplot where Daddy's growing a great big pumpkin, which actually sounds a bit weird now. But at the time, it's all oh, Daddy's pumpkin. So, but anyway, and she, they go into, they drive, they sort of all cycle down the hill and crash into Daddy Pig's pumpkin and then they make pumpkin pie. So it's really simple, little, yeah. you know, really sweet. So kind of often they were kind of based around things like that. There was one which was Mr. Mr. Summing Legs, Mr... It was about a spider, and Alison Snowden wrote that episode, and she, when she wrote it, it was very out of character, but because it was such a nice episode, they kept it in. So they had this little spider that Pepper decided was her friend, and, and kind of, you know, it was a little pet, and it was quite sweet. She was a bit frightened of it, and then she decided she wasn't frightened of it, but it was banned in Australia, because, of course, spiders actually are really frightened. Yeah, sure. really yeah and the size of dinner plates. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, so they had yeah. to ban it. Yeah. There was a whole thing in the paper about it. But, of course, in England, we're always going, oh, don't be frightened of spiders. They're really great. They eat the flies, you know. Yeah. Pop under a cup and let it go. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Ones in yeah, just pick it up. It's fine, you know. Yeah. So that's it. That's that. I guess that that of course brings us on to Miss Rabbit. Uh, and one of the things we're always interested in, isn't it, is the is how these kind of characters are manifest in these sort of shows. And and we're kind of, uh, there's lots of ways we could come at this. But I guess one would be the practical question of like, so they've got this character. They want you to voice it. Do they do they go here is a list of character traits we're thinking Miss Rabbit will, uh, or are they showing you a picture of a vague, no, or are they telling you she'll be your teacher and that'll be it. <laughs> oh, yeah. well. No, it was very, because they said, oh, I'd been doing Pond Life as, and Dolly and I just had to use my own voice and then, and, and it had been quite big, you know, at the time and then Mark and Nev, by the time we finished doing the writing before it was broadcast, it was a few years, a couple of years, and Mark just said, oh, well, actually, why don't you do it? We've always liked your voice, but we didn't want to use you because of Pond Life, because of Dolly, because yeah. you were quite well known as that, and everyone will you're think of you You're too famous. You're too Dolly, Yeah, basically. you're too, yeah. So we don't want to use you. But actually, he said, actually, your Dolly hasn't been on for a bit, so why don't you do it? I said, all right, then. So I didn't really think it was going to carry on as much. I just So I just, did, you know, mm. went, oh, hello, uh, Pepper and George. What do you, you know, whatever. I just did yeah. what it said in the script. I just, you know. Was so just as a side note, there will never be anything that's more pleasurable than listening to a voice... I was really Actor. trying to play it cool. Yeah. Like, uh, when they actually, actually do it. <laughs> carry on. Yeah. No, carry on. We thought, ah, oh, I didn't have to ask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There'd never be anything as cool as, like, you know, watching all this, this well, you know, the Simpsons performers just slip into But there is it. an act of yeah. transformation when you do that. There's a weird... Yeah, there is. You know, there is a craft to, 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 to reconstructing kind of a character out of... So what, it, so what is so this craft? Because you must... Watch, yeah. yeah, you must do... You know, this, is, this isn't a video podcast, but one could imagine... Quite clearly, the way that you, the way that you shift your, so do you, is this something when we talk about the craft of acting? Because you know we, 
act stardom, stardom and performance, kind of film studies moved from stardom to performance. I think there's more interest now in what people like Andrew Clever would call like the fluency of film performance, actually paying attention to, to little nuances and things that, and I think that, you know, voice acting really intensifies that because it yeah. is it is only the voice, traditionally in animation, I mean, aside from, let's say, motion capture films where it's, it's always, but well, I'm sorry, often but not always, they're voicing the characters and providing the movements. It's not always the case, but traditionally that's the, that, that does happen. But in, in, your, in your case, you are having to deliver everything through the voice and you are you do shift your body position and do so I'm just interested in that as a as a kind of creative process because it is something that we can yeah. I can no, see I as you I, do yeah, it. Yeah, I don't I mean I I don't, do you know, I sort of just do it, which yeah, sounds you, really awful. You no, just no, no, no. do it because you do you think, oh I know I'm gonna do that character. But I think when I was growing up, me and my friend um who is now a drama teacher, we used to do loads and loads of voice acting on, we used to have a tape recorder in the olden days when you could have a tape yeah. recorder. And we used to do little radio plays all the time. And we'd always play all the characters and yeah. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. We'd always go, no, Mark, I did these funny voices that we do. And then we'd listen to the back and really cry laughing. So I've, I've done loads of listening to my voice before without doing it because I thought I want to be an actress or I want to be an actor or anything like that. I just did it because it was really good fun. Mm, sure. So it just felt like an extension of that. So I think... You know, like I would say to my daughter, she's about 13, nearly 14, I would say, do what you love. Yeah. Do the stuff that you really love. You'll make a <clears> career out of it and you'll do something that you like doing. Because if you love something, you'll work hard at it. Yeah, it's funny. So, so my, um, and I'm going some of this, my sister's a drama teacher. And when we were younger growing up, we would do radio shows and we would do phone-ins and we would do, and and you know, and the, uh, and the, the sayings that came out of this performance that we did when we were four or five are now things that we say as adults to take the mickey out of each other. <laughs> and we played this radio show at my sister's wedding. Oh, um, brilliant. As part of our speech, me and my brother played this and it was like, you know, looking after pets and my brother took on the role of Michael Jackson and rang up the radio show and asked about how you keep pets alive and things. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but that made me think about the relationship between voice acting and radio. Yes. And, and a lot of... There, there, there is a link. I don't know exactly how the link plays out, but I just wondered if that was because you know voice acting certainly in the Hollywood context, that first wave of celebrity voices that were somehow yeah diverting, they were intruding on the real craft of acting, and they were diverting the route that the character would have taken had the star not come in and made and and somehow deviated the character, and, and now it's too much like Mike Myers, or it's, it's just yeah, celebrity yeah. stunt casting kind of thing. Um, Today you get a lot of kind of improvisational comedians, stand-up comedians from Ellen in the Finding Nemo films right through to um, Bill Hader or, you know, people that have honed yeah. their craft on improvisation and Saturday Night Live and things like this. Um, Robin Williams. Robin Williams, exactly. Yeah, but Bill there was a time, I guess there was a, a time and certainly this is probably more true of the 50s and 60s and some of the, you know, the Disney voice. The Disney voices, they were the same characters, mm, yeah. the same actors. I, I, I've looked through to see, I thought, oh, that sounds just like so and so. I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but yeah, they definitely, in things like uh, Jungle Book. Yeah. And, and they're all the same people. And then you've got, Bed, not Bed, Thompson and Bruce, I'm getting mad, but you know, Jungle Book and uh, all those ones that were done around that time. We, Alice, yeah, we've talked about kind of Aristocats and, and Aristocats, Lady in the Tramp. Yes. And, and, yeah. and you, I know you, we've, well, there are episodes where you've spoken about kind of star voices, not beginning with Robin Williams, but actually going right back to, to well, Peggy Lee. You know, Peggy Lee was someone that people would have gone to see Lady in yeah, the Tramp. Yeah. So 
I do remember a lot. But of also, like the, the people that did the voices of yeah. Cinderella and well, Alice in Wonderland were, were, were stars in and of themselves. You know, that, yes. they were known by. You know, that that, that that seems to have shifted. We get stars yeah. to do voices, whilst the people that did the voices used to become the stars. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, is there a, so, I guess going back to this, given that we're actually sitting in a, in a recording studio or that the houses radio, I just wondered, yeah, is do you see... What, what do you think is one of the kind of specific... Or, or why is voice acting such a specific, yeah, discipline and craft? Are there links to radio? Is it kind of like those Isn't, kinds of performances or no, delivery? No, because I or? think radio... I mean, I know people that do radio plays. Yeah. And I think sometimes they're cold red, but um, but you carry... the Once you're on, you're on. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And you sometimes mm. have to do the sound effects while you're doing stuff. <laughs> and so it's much more... a bit Seems a bit more uh, immediate. Like, I think, you know... It's a different discipline. Was the thing about voice acting in terms of animation? It's quite tight. So some they very some people like Candy wasn't. She was quite a tight director, but you know you could sort of own your performance a bit more. Mark and Nev are very specific, and sometimes they make you do like one word about ten times. But sometimes they're fine with it. You know, so it does stop and start. I mean, that, I do remember listening to Tom Hanks talking about it on mm. some chat show and he was sort of going oh I really hate it because they don't let me just they keep making me do stuff again and again and again yeah. but I think because I've done that's all I've done I've always just done voice acting um, so I'm used to it I don't really think it and I, ne I just think that's how it is so Does it put a strain on the because I've, I've heard Tom Hanks talk about the strain that's put on his diaphragm as he's trying to because everything is being pushed through everything's the being pushed through yeah. so is, is it kind of I think it's a different I suppose, yeah. It can be tired. I mean, I think when I was, when I did Nanny Plum, because it was such a big role, I did get quite tired, but I think I was also, I was, I, I became pregnant when we started it, and I was about seven months pregnant towards him. I literally just thought, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I couldn't be bothered. I was too tired. So I did it really badly, and they went, oh, maybe we should have a break. And they said they were actually really worried that once I'd got pregnant, now I was pregnant having a baby, maybe I'd lost it, you know. It was really, really, I didn't know Whatever that until it is, I got back. you've lost it, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I had no energy. And then basically, I, I did, I had three months off. I mean, I've still had, basically, I had maternity leave from uni, and then I was doing that, and then I had three months off that, and then I went back. But I took Minnie with me on the train. It was brilliant. So, because I'm from London, I had loads of friends and family. I used to just, we'd go down the day before, we'd stay with this friend of mine, and then I'd have different people would pop into the studio and look after Minnie in the studio. You know, I could yeah, see her. Yeah, yeah. I did it, and then I'd have my lunch and feed Minnie, and then, you know, it was quite good, actually. It worked sure. out all right, but I did have the energy again, because I think what it is, you need quite a lot of, of energy to do those bits, you have to put everything into it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting about like this, the this film, film studying film. We we go through waves of thinking about the body and how yeah. we attack and think about the body. And 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 Chris is right when we talk of this move towards studying performance on screen has gone with a move towards thinking about bodies and star bodies and the way yeah, people yeah. manipulate and move their bodies. But I'm not sure we've got ourselves to a point where we're good at articulating what's going on with the voice because of course I think we we, we make this voice body schism don't we and yeah. of course the two things are linked like it's 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 vocal cords it's it's things like that and it sounds like it it does put an enormous strain on the body in one way because you've got to you have to keep your head quite tense actually you have to keep your head in the same because you've got to keep everything on mic so otherwise <laughs> if you're doing this it's like yeah, off on like off on forwards. it sounds yeah, really yeah, bad yeah. so you have to be quite you do have to be quite controlled actually yeah. But I think I've done it for so long I don't notice. But yeah, you do have to be. And I think that's probably what a lot of actors don't maybe like. They kind of, you know, because they want to be big in their body language yeah. or bigger. Not like, I don't think if you're massively 
big on screen it necessarily is a good thing if you if it's a close up obviously yeah, you have to yeah. be quite still <coughs> but i think that's a, you know i'm so used to having to use so much expression and in my face and in my voice and when i speak you know whatever it yeah. is whether it's that um I think if I was doing something on screen with my face, I would have to really learn how to tone it down. So, so it's, it's, it, you have to use your body to, 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 to produce the voice, but then the luxury of it, which you've said already and we've, we've been chatting, is that you know you, don't, you, you also are in control of your body. Whilst yes. you know, when you're performing, you have everything, the body is on display. Here yeah, you're, yeah. you can turn up on what you want to wear, yeah. you can do all that sort of stuff, you, you can got to put pause and, and, and look after your daughter. Exactly. So, do, uh, I mean, do, do people do things like, you know, I've, haven't I, I've just, have I heard that like some actors like to like put on, you know, I don't know, does Tom Hanks put on Woody's hat or any nonsense like that? No. Or are you very <clears> much like, look, I just, I'll, I just wear what I want to wear to be comfortable and that's what I'm going to do because that helps me. Yeah, you just, just take that, yeah, I, I take all my jewellery off, that's the main yeah, thing. Because okay. sometimes I have a clinky, clanky thing and that's just, that would be really yeah, yeah, irritating. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I've, I've listened, I think it's Robert Pattinson that says it's funny, this thing about method acting is that people always use method acting to justify terrible behaviour. It's never, I went method and was really lovely. It's always, to, it's always <laughs> used to, to justify Justify, you know, Robin Williams didn't go method for Patch Adams. He is just nice. Whereas, often method acting is used to be like no, the reason I treated everyone terribly was because I was in character. So it's always used to qualify oh, yeah. terrible behaviour. There was now that really famous quote with Dustin. It was Dustin Hoffman. Oh yeah. And uh, Lawrence Olivier. And Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. And he, you know, he said, oh, "I'm doing method," and he said, "Why don't you try acting?" Yeah. 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 I stayed up all night to <laughs> pretend to be a person who stayed up all night. Yeah. Tried yeah, yeah. Well, no, so I think this idea of kind of body and and, and labour and. and and technology and, and the way that stuff is recorded and um yeah it makes it, it's amazing how different we used to do it on and when I first started with <coughs> Candy we used to do it on an Agra in my bedroom in Brixton right it was really simple and it was brilliant actually but we just used to go it was quite quiet because the planes used to go we'd have to wait in between yeah. planes and have yeah. to do takes and things have gone a little bit back that way well during Covid I'm sure they're, they're jumping back the other way now right but I've heard stories yeah. of voice actors having to do or or I think was it Top Gun actually the, the new Top Gun movie where uh, Miles Teller had to do some pickups in his um, downstairs closet because they couldn't get him in oh, to do yeah. it and things like that. Did you have to do any of that? Or, uh, no, we just no. recorded it like that because it was cheap, I think. We just had a very low budget, so we'd okay. often record. Mm. And then, oddly, the sound studio, where I'm st I've been going to there for literally... 25 years I mean and like Pepper we did Capon Live there we've done Pepper there and other stuff I've done it all I've, oddly we always go to that sound studio so when I very occasionally have done an ad and I've gone to another one it's like a really interesting thing oh what this is like. mm. uh, uh -huh. quite funny but yeah during Covid no during Covid I went to Manchester actually okay. and we did it I went to Flick in Manchester, I'm in Media City, okay. and then and I drove, and then we just it was all very. I was in a spooth on my own, and I had a we linked up with um, either Teams or whatever it was anyway, you know, kind of video link up, yeah. and then they directed me from there. But it was interesting because I kept saying, "You have to come in, you have to come to London. We want you to be in the studio." But actually, it was perfectly all right doing it like that. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, I think that this kind of question of labour, I think, specifically labour in relation to technology and and um, there are writers that write about acting. That, so Christine Geraghty argues that to stars are fit, fitted into the star is celebrity, star is professional, the star is performer. The la, the, that last c category sort of trying to emphasise the work of acting that often I think people think is effaced by technology and, and all the writing around motion captures. No, there is really a human there doing it. And, and I think voices are obviously this intensified practice that, as you said, that is, that is, that is tiring. You have, to, you have to focus. It is... It comes with its own sort of challenges. You, it's like you're trying to speak to a tennis ball on a stick, but and, and you're right that some of the the Hollywood 
well, a lot of the Hollywood animated films are just individual people in individual booths. Very rarely do they have people recording together. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess the, the sort of the relationship between labour and, and, and technology and, and have you seen, you mentioned kind of the old, te- the old tech stuff, have you seen, is it, is it easier to record these things now? Is, is it something that, that you feel as an industry is, has been, you know, voice acting has been now taken more seriously or is there a sort of, because that, that was the other flip side to yeah. star, star voices that actually is that we can critique them for coming in and, and derailing the film and, and um, it just being something as I said, that they do in between their live action roles. But actually the other flip side of that is, well, a lot of these actors who would previously maybe have turned their nose up at Star Wars uh, are legitimising, you know, the fact that Tom Hanks is in Toy Story. This is now legitimising. So I just wondered if you, from a from a kind of more macroscopic perspective, are you seeing voice acting? Or is, I mean, it's always, obviously always been important to you, but do, did you have you seen it being legitimised, or is that not even a thing for, for I don't know. within the industry? I, yeah, I don't. I'm just trying to think. I don't think I've ever thought of it as not being. Which is how it should be. It's legitimate. I've always. Yeah. I mean, I've always. Sure. You know. It is. Yeah. Well, it is obviously. Um, yeah. yeah. Do, do you have a difference between? On say like Pepper, you've got you know the the, the regular cast, and then you've got <laughs> people. I mean, we talk about star voices. You've got people like Brian Blessed coming oh, in and doing oh, his thing. Like, doesn't David Mitchell, David Mitchell do? Yeah. David Mitchell. So does like, there some... are some people who I guess are hired for their voice to come in and do That's it. Yeah. I mean, David Mitchell has got quite an interesting and unusual yeah. voice. So he works really well. And they give him quite good. You know, I think he plays milkman. a policeman. No, policeman. Policeman. Yeah, he plays I a policeman. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But oddly, years ago, I I was in a sitcom with David Mitchell, and and they did this, and Robert, where they did this um, pilot called. Um, called Daydream Believers. Okay. And that, and I met them then, years ago, because I was in, I played the neighbour. Right, okay. anyway. It was like a, I can't remember what my character's name was now, but anyway, that was okay. But they're, 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 is there any ago. difference in how they approach it or how they are asked to approach it by the directors or anything? I have or no idea because okay. I think it's all the same. I mean, Brian, I, I only hear tales of Brian Bessaging quite a lot of swearing and sure. making everybody laugh. It, it, but, I only know. hear tales of that <laughs> and I'm just a punter. <laughs> but I, and I sometimes, I think Moena you know, Mawena Banks is, she's a really brilliant voice actress and she's really, you know, kind of um, versatile. And she does loads of other stuff as well. And I think for her, that is her main income, yeah. her voiceover stuff. She does tons and tons of it. I mean, she does do acting and she's in other things. She's written stuff, but that is her main bread and butter, is her voice stuff. Whereas for me, it's not really, I mean, it is really great, but uh, but I do a lot, I do other things that are more, you know, kind of like my teaching and sure. all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. She's, so... I have one more question yeah, yeah. about that, and then then we can climb out of the voice acting silo, which is and the hottest room in the world, and the, and the hottest room like in the world for the listeners' like benefit. A... We're in a sauna right now, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it works. Was about Miss Rabbit because we I got derailed, which is one of the things Chris and I are both obsessed with because it speaks to both fantasy and animation is anthropomorphism and animals and the way animals are used in these stories and of course they're animals because I can imagine the meeting where you went well we'll set it in a family but obviously they won't be making them real family we'll make them oh I don't know pigs you know like yeah, yeah. you know we can create the fantasy version of what that how that went I'm sure yeah. it's much more thought through than that but there are, there is something fun about the kind of scattershot nature of yes they're pigs but they're not really pigs and all this sort of stuff so i guess my slightly cryptic and impossible question i always ask an impossible question on the podcast is how rabbity did you think about uh the the uh, doing the performance of miss rabbit yes. is, did, you, did that remotely enter any of your thoughts or were you thinking school teacher Which comes yeah, things yeah like school that. teacher or rabbit yeah. i think i think i think i just thought 
odd job lady rather than yeah, Miss Rabbit. So that's I don't not, really that's think not of, part of the equation. Yeah, I just think of her as being a person. I forget okay. she's a rabbit, actually. Okay. I mean, she, you know... You've just destabilised really... anything. No, no, no. Sorry. So then the question is, why is she a rabbit? Yeah, yeah. Because she, that's important that she's a rabbit. Like, I it think is they just... What they did is they, they had a certain rule in terms of the animals. They're all sort of pet-like animals, like a rabbit mm-hmm. or a dog or... Although they do have... A cat, and then they have. So they were kind of, and then they had because they had like sometimes they think, oh my god, how are we going to get them to go to a zoo? So (laughs) the animals in the zoo have to be slightly. There were, I remember lots of things. There have been lots of exotic animals in the zoo. Yeah, so they're exotic, but these are different animals. So they kinds of, and also rabbits don't make a noise. So I couldn't really ever make a noise. You know, I couldn't do a snort or a. So that no. was quite weird. So in a way, it is just like being a person. But, but I think it, if I had to make a noise, it would have been different. But it is You're important, isn't now. it? Because yeah. I just think I'm mean, so fast. Because if she was Mrs. Fox, just that's you just changed it like that at the start. I would already. I don't know about. I don't know. Perhaps I'm just really going off on one. But like, no, no, no. I would already approach the character very differently. Yeah, I probably would. Um, Rabbit, soft. You know, but genteel. then there's Mummy Rabbit, and um, but I do exactly the same voice for Mummy Rabbit <laughs> as I do for Miss Rabbit. So and we you're always laugh. Really, are channeling we're your rabbitiness. Yeah, then, yeah. Um, they always go right. You're going to do Miss Rabbit now. The same voice, if you can. Yeah. <laughs> I go, yeah, because we have a good laugh about yeah. it. Okay. Well, but then, then, this is these again. Yeah. The kind of anthrop- this is the relationship again between people writing and you know people writing about anthropomorphism and animation. And then the voice actor's going, I don't think about the... the but I think it's... That she, is yes. interesting, though. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think it's interesting because she's not really... I think if she was a different sort of animal, I don't know, I might yeah, be slight. I think that's I think what I mean, it was yeah. Because I, think she, I remember once they had a zebra, and I can't remember what... And I was thinking, does that fit the, the rules? And we were kind of discussing it. And mm. then they said they wanted the zebra to make a noise. And I'd just come back from Africa. And I said, well, zebras don't make it. They don't neigh. Like horses, they go... And they make this really weird noise, but they didn't want that. They wanted a horse noise because they thought no one will know what that is, yeah. basically. So it was, they just changed it to well, fit in with what other people's. Sounds are. like we can add. What's it? Is it no horses behave like? Um, so yes. So uh, so there are. You know, Paul Wells is. I we always whenever we talk about anthropomorphism, we always talk about Paul Wells's book, The Animated Beastury. But my thought on horses in animation is that they always behave like dogs. That's like a general rule. When horses yeah, are in, I suppose whether they it's do in tangled, uh, whether tangled, it's... Yeah. So they really do and behave like we, we, When we did a Prince of Egypt, we discovered llamas also behave like dogs. And now yes. it seems like zebras behave like horses. Yes. So uh, but well, we can add this to the rule. But Wells has written about kind of that kind of cultural... Con- the, the consensus of what we think. We think horses are noble. But just the way that we think about animals, so foxes are sly and all this sort yeah, of stuff yeah. that, that feeds into, exactly as you said, if, if, if the character was a fox, you'd approach it maybe slightly differently or there's a sense of villainy mm-hmm. to some of these characters. Um, so it I, would be written, I would play it as a villain. It would be written probably slightly differently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing was Miss Rabbit is a sort of workaholic you know, rushing about everywhere, doing things. And Mummy Rabbit is the sort of, obviously she's got millions of kids, she's like another sort of, does something else loads. So basically, you know, they're always busy. That's yeah, why yeah, sort yeah. of busy people, whatever they do. And they can only do whatever they do. So she can't yeah. do, like Miss Rabbit can't do what Mummy Rabbit does. She got really, there's an episode where they got, they kind of swapped their jobs and it was disastrous on both sides. So basically one was a workaholic and one was a mum. Yeah. I think the rules that you mentioned rules earlier, and we, I think the, the, the way that fantasy and, and rules and fiction, the, the rules of the world. Be, and, yes, yeah. It's written down, world. or are these just kind of like you're talking them through and this feels right and this doesn't feel right? Or does well, he Mark look, do we, like things on there. the wall? Yeah, no, no, Disney, this. Like, Disney famously wrote down the rules of hyper-realism, didn't yeah. they? About like what can and can't be done yeah. in their cartoons. Yeah. Um, well, they did. No, well, they didn't write them down, but they were kind of... And they they'd have like but they did it with Ben and Holly they were sort of worried about how are we going to have 
you know, a tooth fairy or how are we going to have, are we going to do yeah. this or how are we going to do that? And so they'd think about, the, you know, because they'd set up these worlds and then you think, well, actually, and as you more expand, they started, when it started, it literally had the fur, it just had, you know, a mummy and daddy sure. and two kids and that House was it, they lived hill. on a hill. Yeah. And then obviously as they expanded and thought some more ideas, they had to sort of add characters. So they kind of then had to gradually create a world and kind of, I think they created the rules as they went. They, I mean, nobody expected when we got the first, when they got the first, you know, the commission, and and they'd asked me to write some of it, and it was all going ahead. And I remember we went to Mark's house, and Phil, who was the producer then, opened a bottle of champagne. We all went, oh great, here's the first series. And I thought, oh well, I'll do this for a bit, and then I'll go and do some. I never thought he was going to keep doing it, you know, yeah. twenty odd years. Just sitting in a room with people talking <laughs> no, about it still. Quite, yeah, it's been going on for so long. It's so successful, but you know, and you. I was going to say, Sorry, Robin, my, Robin, my <laughs> student, said to me, oh, but, you know, didn't I can't believe you didn't know at the time. I thought, nobody knows. You yeah. don't know if someone's going to... Everybody wants it to be. Obviously, you think, I hope this works for a couple of seasons. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be great. But you, nobody... Because if, if everybody knew what how to make a hit, everything yeah, yeah. would be a hit. Yeah, you don't go, let's make a moderately successful yeah, thing let's, right yes, now. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you never really know until it happens. Yeah, you know. sure. I have... No, just a, just a final question, which I think we often ask... Um, creatives on the podcast is there something an episode that you're particularly proud of or um, a moment a line or a memorable line that you knew yeah. had to do animators often tell us about like that leaf that just wouldn't render properly yeah right? just, so, you know, so, like, so know, is there anything yeah. that sticks out or a kind of yeah the stuff no. that you've written or anything that you're kind of particularly I mean, I like, perhaps uh, yeah. the villas or, or maybe Peppa Pig yeah I don't know. That's a really hard question. Because there's lots of moments that I felt really... You know, like, I love the fact that I've done Pepper for so long. I'm really yeah. proud of that. And the fact that it's been <clears> so popular. And Miss Rabbit's such a popular character. You know, it's really good. Are you a, are you a stuffed uh, toy? Stuffed yeah, toy. no, no, stuffed. actually, there isn't a stuffed toy. There's a stuffed toy of Miss of Nanny Plum. Okay. And the press had tell me, and it says... Is it, is like it your? Is it you? It's my voice. Is it, it's your? Oh. I like Tom Hanks. It. He goes. I like vegetables, especially peas. It's really <laughs> sweet. My daughter used to have it when she was little and pressing. Quite sweet. So um, that's been a good storyteller to your daughter because again, yeah. that's voices and. Uh, yeah, I like doing it. I did like doing it. Yeah. yeah. And the child wants to go to bed, and you're like, no, we'll read no, another read one. More. Yeah, I we'll do read another. Three one. stories a night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amazing. I'm really tired. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, well, I guess we should ask you just a couple of questions about sort of your other life. So yes, you've done the voice acting is still doing the voice acting and it's a important part of your professional portfolio but you said you're now working more in education and you're doing yeah. your own research so just um give give readers if you don't reveal what you can doing outside of that um of, okay of well i've got work. i've got two research projects so one is i found some drawings in the lancashire archives and they were made in about 1853. And it's in the, um, it's all about the Preston lockouts, which is when there was a strike in um, Preston, years uh -huh. ago in the mills, and they, workers wouldn't get, didn't get the 10% that all the other mill owners got, all the other mill workers got in surrounding mills like Blackburn and Burnley and all around there. And they basically, so they went on strike. And the mill owners in Preston went, well, go on strike, we'll just lock the doors and you can't come in and work. So it's called the Preston Knockouts. Right. And then what happened is they got anybody in to work in the mills, and they, they were called the knobsticks. So we now would call that a scab, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> they were called knobsticks, but there were loads of Irish. And in these drawings, which was now quite interesting, there's been quite a lot of stuff like Charles Dickens used to come up, and I found okay. these two scrapbooks, and there's basically Charles Dickens used to come up and write about it, and, and Hard Times is supposedly based 
Coke Town, which is where the book is set, is supposedly based on this Preston lockout. And also there was North and South with oh, yeah. um, Elizabeth Gaskell wrote North and South, which is a kind of romantic Southerner meets North. Was that adapted for BBC? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Posh Southerner meets working yeah. class yeah. Northern mill owner. They kind of hate each other and then get it together. Sure. So yeah, so basically there's that. And uh, but and this book uh, about you know ten, I think it's ten um, percent no surrender, which is a very it's a very dry academic history book but um, has gone into a lot of detail about what happens but it's sort of and it's got those illustrations on the cover and in the book but it doesn't really talk about them and no one really knows who made them so okay. then I thought it would be quite nice to make a film because when I looked at them I thought oh my god there's all these weird Irish voices you could see they were drawn by somebody who obviously hated the, the knob sticks as mm. they were called and they'd drawn them like shillelaghs so it was very prejudiced and they'd sort of my dad's from Northern Ireland so I sort of felt a bit like oh that's a bit rude and then they'd sort of gone be sure, I'd rather be drinking a Murphy's in the old. And it was all written right. in this really bad, sort of terrible, taking the mickey way. And there was five drawings, and they were sort of, obviously... And then one of them, all the women had their tits out. It's really weird. And they all had, like, the kids running around. They were all desperate. And then some of them, they were all lying on these bales, holding their fannies. It was just... I just thought, what is that? Right. So I did a bit more research, and I realised, obviously, it's the end of the potato famine. The de Irish were desperate. So they just got them in as cheap labour, put them in the mills, didn't know what they were doing. They were treated really badly. And then afterwards, they just kind of just went whatever and there were apparently at that which i found another bit of information they suddenly the 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 asylums in the in lancashire suddenly filled up with loads of catholics because it was easier than going on the street and they had no money and so they got a nice set of clothes and three square meals a day so that's what happened but which i found really interesting but there were parallels with today with the strike the train strike let's yeah. just get workers in like the the pino ferry yeah. thing uh -huh. and also with the migrants the way people have been so terrible about the migrants coming over yeah. do you know what i mean like particularly when it was brexit you'd have those awful pictures and it was saying oh look we're being invaded or we don't want them and of course, they like you. Don't mind Ukrainians coming, and I suspect it's because the other ones came from Syria. But you know, and the, and the, I feel like there's quite a lot of racism in this country at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, it sort of spoke to me in lots of different ways. So I, I've made a short little taste of film okay. and presented a paper here about yeah, it. Yeah. And then I'm gonna try and bid for some more money to make a longer film because I think it's really interesting. And I and I and, I, and it's basically based around these drawings. Okay. And do we know who these drawings were written? Nobody were knows who or? made them. Okay. No, I can't find that information and I've spoken to loads of historians and literally nobody knows who made them. They're just in these scrapbooks and the scrapbooks are from that time. So there's loads of newspaper yeah. cuttings and one scrapbook is from, is John Ashworth and he was one of the mill owners and the other one is George Cowell and he was... I might have got this the wrong way around because I need to look at my notes. And he was basically the, on the side of the of the strikers. So there's both these two scrapbooks, wow. scrapbooks full of all this stuff. And there's loads of newspaper cuttings from 1853. Uh, are or these drawings in the newspapers or are these just drawings? These are drawings. I mean, they're, they're, they're colour drawings and they're like... And, and they, the originals are kept in Lancashire archives, and they're like little illustrations that someone's done, and that's okay. it. They're just there, and it says, The Truth, page one. <laughs> and then there's funny writing underneath about it. And it's all, you know, it's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, it, what it feels like to me is it's written, they're drawn by the, a worker or someone on strike. They hate the Irish, they hate what they're doing, and they hate the mill owners. Mm. So it's from their point of view. That's what I feel. Yeah. But they couldn't write, or they didn't know how to... You know, they couldn't have defended themselves through an article through the paper because it wasn't that line of defence wasn't open to them at that point, was it? A lot of them, were, you know, couldn't read and write. and So I felt that's that's what it suggests in the writing when you look at it. So, but I don't know who. There's no evidence of who actually did them, which is a bit of a shame, really. So 
but yeah, so that's kind okay. of that. And then the other project is something I've got a commission with the BBC, BFI, but I can't talk too much about it, but I'm quite excited about it, so that's all I'm going to say. And is the BFI commission, is that linked to the work you're doing on your PhD? Or uh... It is, yeah, no, very good. Yeah, no, it is, basically. So uh, the BFI have a remit to com to commission diversity which is the same as the bbc so um I and mean, it's public money it's like government mm -hmm. money um so they obviously want to be seen to be you know commissioning sort of you know local areas or you know kind of people who don't get their voices heard and you know mm -hmm. so that's been the remit for the commission and the and the project that I've made for the BFR and I'll tell I, I, I could talk about it more but I'm a bit nervous about no, it no, no, anyway. it's all right. leave it so as a that's teaser what, yeah, leave, it, leave it as a teaser so that's what my PhD is about so it's about the idea of ideally it'd be great to make this show that's very much about diversity and gender and uh, alternative families and it's set in the north and you know it's kind of celebrating lots of stuff but how will that translate to a more commercial world and then I'll push I'm going to go and see how what the reaction is because you know, my experience of being in that commercial world is still very much, is it on a pink eye or a blue, or a blue eye, boys' toys? You know, this was about two years ago. Boys' toys are more expensive than girls' toys. They make more money because boys are, people are prepared to spend more money on boys when it comes to things like that, you know, and it's very commercial. And so, and, you know, we need a... Well, we need someone who's got loads of experience, and so it's harder for women to get those roles if they haven't already been given them. You know, there are lots of directors who are make arty films and low budget films and short films but when it comes to the commercial world where the money gets bigger mm. and it's more risky they're frightened and so they just tend to go back to the same people so it's kind of looking at how that works and how that operates and yeah that's it great great Does that makes sense that makes yeah. sense yeah great terrific sarah yeah. yeah thank you ever so that's much right. for, for chatting to us and um yeah uh, i think there's lots more to say about voice acting and, and labour and, and it would be really interesting. I think more I writers on animation and voicing need to kind of talk to the people that do this stuff to Yeah, because it is a craft. Actually. It is a craft, it yeah. It is a craft. I mean, yeah. it's interesting. When I, when, I st I, when I first started acting, I didn't have to wear my glasses, so I just used to have, read the script. And what I relied on was I'd look like that and I'd always look up as I was reading it and I'd see their faces. And if I could see them through the booth laughing, I thought, I've got that right. Yeah. So I sort of, that my performance was to them, yeah. basically. So when I first of all had reading glasses, I looked down and looked up and I thought, everything's out of focus. And I found it really hard because you can't hear them because it's silent for you. So I couldn't yeah. hear them laughing. I was just thinking, oh my God, is that working? So yeah. it was really weird. So I ended up having to get varial focus so I could look up through the clear bits. <laughs> and see wow, them yeah. so I could look down and it was yeah it was it's really it's not weird. just saying the words is it it's no well, for me it was I wanted the reaction such, yeah. yeah so that because I understand but it was all right when the video when we did it on video because I could see them but you I need the face it's yeah. really you know to see whether it's working mm. you're performing to someone yeah uh, like and it to, needs to be someone immediate yeah, and there yeah. and, and the I've room. got their script how they wanted it you know mm. you can see them laughing and that and I think I've got it yeah Great. Up. A really interesting, really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sarah. Um, yeah, so listeners, uh, you know where we are, but you can find us at fancy-animation.org. If you are a researcher, academic, PhD student, BA or, or postgrad student yeah. and want to try and put into words about voice acting, let's yeah. see if we can solve this conundrum. 
is there a way we can think about it in, in a more kind of sophisticated way in terms of the stuff we've been talking about today? Because I think we need to say a bit more about this, mm. uh, about this topic. Let us know via the website. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at FananimResearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M Research. Um, leave us a review. Follow us on um, all your podcasting uh, mediums. Um, otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.